Good morning. How is everybody? Well, not everybody yell at me. I hope you're doing well this morning. Uh, if I have not met you yet, my name is David Snelling. I'm the pastoral assistant here at Mosaic Church, uh, and I'm just excited as I always am really just to be with you this Sunday morning. Um, just a couple announcements just to get them out of the way. As Amy said in the welcome video, fall is here. I woke up and it was like 55 degrees outside and it was amazing. Uh, with that being said, here comes the season of our fun fall fest, Fall Fun Fest, Fun Fall Fest, something like that. Um, our Thanksgiving outreach. I mean, there's so many things that are going on at the end of this year that we are able to come together as the body of Christ to both serve our community and just to gather together and worship the good Lord Jesus. So I pray that you will join us for that. All of that information can be found at the connection desk where I will be standing after the service um, or online on our Facebook really is a main way that we communicate. So please check us out there. Um, that's it. Real simple there. But I want to go into Romans chapter 8. And I want to go there fast because we have a lot to get into. Spoiler alert, Tad said in his prayer, we're talking about the intercession of the Holy Spirit this morning. And that's a huge, weighty thing. Continuing our series titled The Greatest Chapter in the Bible, we will, as Pastor Tad has done in the previous weeks, read some passages following or previous of our text. That way we can grasp the full context of what Paul is saying. So you have your Bible, hope that you do open up uh, to Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 27. Romans 8, 18 through 27. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager, eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of, as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This is our text this morning. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Let's pray. Father God, I confess, Father, that I am insufficient for the weight of this text. And you have not called me to be sufficient for this text. Father, you are sufficient for this text. So I pray now to rely wholly upon you, and that this body of believers, God, that we would be encouraged, strengthened, convicted by your Holy Spirit, Father, that we might be made into the image of Christ more and more until that day that you call us home. God, I pray that I would decrease, that you would increase, and that the glory of God would ring true in these walls this morning. I love you, Father. We, we love you. We praise you. And it's in Christ's precious name that we pray. Amen. So, 
I want to begin this morning by repeating uh, the words of a friend of mine who actually preached from this pulpit a couple months ago. Uh, Phil Waller, who is a chaplain in the 7 Special Forces group, he brought to mind that a pastor has 52 weeks within a year to impart to the congregation that he oversees the gospel. 52, and, and that doesn't seem like a lot when we just look at the, the number of it. So I'm, I really am truly thankful to be here with you this morning. In fact, as much as Pastor Tad is a dear friend of mine, I am always excited when I see his schedule take him out of town because I get the opportunity to stand at this pulpit if it is my turn. We have a number of elders who are qualified and and able to teach, uh, but I love to stand here and I love to proclaim the word of the living God. But the reason I share this with you isn't just to share with you my heart. Um, Something happens when I have a text that I get to preach. Every time that I begin to prepare a sermon, uh, or even really a closing talk for that matter, just a little bit on a smaller scale, uh, my soul just comes alive. It's like a flood of emotions that that just swell up in me as I'm leading up to Sunday. Excitement at the fact of the, the word is so good, and great joy in the love of God for us that is so apparent the deeper and deeper that we dig into his word and await a weight of the importance and glorious work of preaching the gospel. Now, let me ask you this. Who do I have to thank for that fire that wells up in me? I'm using preaching as an example here, but really this this happens to all believers by just being in the word. Maybe in a blue moon, maybe it's not every day, uh, but just reading and, and having something strike you out of nowhere that you've never seen before, or maybe in a new way. You're deeply convicted, deeply encouraged. Might be brought to tears, might be just be brought to the, you want to sing with joy. Or you're praying when things are bleak and difficult, and it's like a real-time flood of assurance flows into your heart. Or when a great situation in your life is standing there and the will of God becomes evident to you. Whether it's easier to follow or not, that's not the point, but there is an unexplainable, insurmountable peace that greets you. What causes a once dead man or woman who were lost in their sin to sing the lyrics that we just sang Upon his grace, I'll daily ponder and sing anew his praise with all adoring wonder, his blessings I retrace. It seems as if eternal days are far too short to sing his praise. At this point, you might know where I'm going with this this morning. And yes, the Sunday school answer does technically apply. It's not wrong, you know, Jesus or God, that either of those things work here, okay? But specifically, I am bringing up the work of the Holy Spirit in the believers' lives. Romans chapter 8 has been all about the Holy Spirit. And it's continuing to be all about the Holy Spirit. And our relationship with him, the third member of the Trinity, it begins with no condemnation in in verse 1. It goes on to say that as born-again believers, we are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. And apart from the Spirit, we cannot please God. Then Paul, in verse 12, continues this flow and writes, So then, brothers, 
or sisters. So then brothers and sisters. Romans chapter eight is a beautiful and wonderful piece of a letter that flows and logically builds upon itself to different points. In Romans eight, the greatest chapter in the Bible is built on itself and flows into itself. The further that we go in and he says, so then, brothers. Then he moves that, that we are not debtors to the flesh, that we are debtors to the spirit, that we are living in the spirit. But if we are living in the flesh, we would die. But we, the children of God, have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Our adoption as children of God. Then Paul moves on to the next portion. Here's who we are. We are children of God, heirs with Christ. And then he moves into suffering which is what we just read, actually. This identity as children of God is key to suffering well. And I don't want us to miss out on the zoomed out portion of this letter on Romans chapter eight. Last week, we we talked about the spirit birthed hope. Hope in the midst of futility. Hope in the midst of suffering in this world. So we are alive in Jesus where we were once dead that's what we, regeneration means. And, and while here, while on this earth, we groan inwardly because of the futility that has been cast upon this earth due to our sin. But we've been given a hope. We've been given future grace, a future reality that is unimaginable in its glory, unimaginable in its joy. And in verse 26 and 27, we see that we've been given, sent from above, not just a help, but the helper who is interceding for us. Let's read those two verses again, Romans chapter 8, 26 through 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words." And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Paul says, likewise. Connecting the immediate circumstances of suffering that we just read and the suffering and hope in the verses prior to this, specifically verses 18 through 25. In the midst of hoping, in the midst of this futility, We are groaning and longing for the kingdom of God to fully come. Amen? Right? We can't wait to go home. But in this time, in these days that are long and evil, God has sent his spirit to be with us. Likewise, Paul says, he, the Holy Spirit of God, helps us, verse 26, The Spirit himself intercedes for us, verse 26. The Spirit intercedes, verse 27. This should cause an absolute unbreakable confidence in us. But before we begin to break that down further, we need to understand the Holy Spirit, don't we? Or at least try to, right? Because the Holy Spirit is regarded by by many as the most misunderstood member of the Trinity, Now, when I say Trinity, I mean that God is one being. God is one. There is only one God, but he has chosen to reveal himself in three different and distinct ways. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Ghost, if you remember from your KJV youth days. Our God, 
operates in these ways while all being perfectly one God, okay? And let's be clear about this doctrine. This is immense. And we are not going to fully grasp it, truly. Not this side of eternity anyway. We are finite. God is infinite. But what we can be absolutely sure of is the Holy Spirit was sent to his people, Jesus's people, born again followers of Christ after the crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord, and he was sent for our benefit. So a question that I pose to you now, I actually posed this question to the students' ministry a couple weeks ago and a few members of our community group last week, and it struck me, not even in regards to this text, but do we truly grasp who it is that indwells us? Do we truly grasp who it is that indwells us? I don't mean on, in, on an intellectual level, right? It's like that meme, you know, that I don't know if you guys know, but there's that guy standing at a board and like there's papers and red string everywhere and he's like looking crazy, trying to connect something. I don't know what he was trying to connect, but that's what he's doing. I don't mean like that, right? Because we know as believers that intellectual assent or acceptance or acknowledgement does not equal true spirit-born belief. So there is a difference. And I don't mean to discourage you with this question either. That can be easily done, but at at a certain level, we, we won't fully grasp it, as I said. But we should soberly ask the question. When faced with any situation in your life, how often do our thoughts go something like this? I can't tell them about Jesus. I can't share with them the gospel. I can't invite them to church. Because what if they, what if they reject me? What if, what if I mess up and I just say something wrong or say something off, right? I mean, how many of us have had that conversation? Or those bracelets that were around long before I was following Jesus, WWJD, what would Jesus do? You remember that? Sometimes we know what Jesus would do, don't we? And we know what he calls us to do, but we find an excuse not to do it. Not sharing the gospel, not praying, not confessing sin. But how different would that internal conversation be if we reminded ourselves that it is God who indwells you? I can share the gospel. I can tell people about Jesus. I can do all of these things because I am indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God. Makes sharing the gospel seem a little less anxiety-inducing, doesn't it? Or at least shouldn't it? Who is it that indwells us? Let me read two passages of scripture to you. Romans chapter 8, 11, which we've already read in our series, but I'm gonna touch on in Ephesians chapter one, verses 13 through 14. Romans 8, 11, first, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So is the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Hold on to that. Now go to Ephesians chapter one. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. What these two verses together are saying, if you are a Christian this morning, 
If you have believed and confessed that Christ is king, if by the grace of God through faith in him you have been saved, then you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you. In that moment, like a snap of your finger, you were sealed with him. This is not a different spirit than he who raised Christ. It is the same Holy Spirit. And this is far greater news than we could ever fathom. He's the guarantee of our inheritance. And all of this should well up inside of us to a fountain of joy and confidence. But we, as we've already said, we read these texts, but we in this time are hoping, aren't we? We're groaning for the coming day that we will acquire the inheritance, right? So what about now? Because that's future. That's the future grace of God. Uh, What about now? What do we do now? The Holy Spirit helps us. That's what the word says. Helps us in what is the next question. And it's found in the first sentence, not even really the whole entirety of the first verse. It answers something like this. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. There is no question of weakness here. Paul doesn't pose a question of weakness. And there's no room for our pride to to puff up. I'm not weak. You don't know me. Paul doesn't know me. No. No. Nor does Paul say that the spirits help you in your weaknesses, as if he was speaking to us lesser Christians. No, he uses the word us. That, That kind of pride has no room in the Christian life. The gospel at its entirety in simplistic form is that you are not good enough, never could be good enough. I can never be good enough, but by Jesus and his blood, you are counted as being good because of how great he is. Let's just use the author of this letter as an example, Paul, the apostle Paul. He he was the Pharisee of the Pharisees. When talking about speaking in tongues to the Corinthian church, he says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Pause. Take that out of context. You're like, wow, Paul, that's, that's really prideful of you. you know? Look at me. I'm speaking in tongues more than all of you. But that's not what Paul is saying here. He was making a point. Paul had every reason to boast. Philippians 3, 4 through 7, though I myself have reason for confidence, this is Paul here, in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless." But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. This is a very simple point. It's not profound in any way, nor does it need to be. God is the source of strength for the believer. God is the source of strength for the believer. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 10, three times, once again, this is Paul speaking. This is Paul. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power, for my power is made 
perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We shouldn't read this about our weakness and complain that he calls us weak or try to prove that we aren't. We'll fail, but we should soberly, soberly nod our heads looking to God who is the strength that we need to rely upon. If anyone had reason to claim strength in regards to following God, it was Paul. And yet, we would be wise to humble ourselves, as Paul says in his word, the letters that he wrote. We are weak. Don't believe me. Okay. Can we kill sin? Can we tell others about Jesus? Can we save ourselves apart from the Holy Spirit of God? No, by, by no means, not in the slightest. And many of us in this room have tried to do just that. Apart from the Lord, there will be no good work. If not by the work of Jesus, if not by the indwelling Holy Spirit of God, what strength do we have to claim? Strength that we claim is not even ours to begin with. We are strong in the Lord. It is supplied to us by God, and praise be to God for that. He does not leave us in this time without help. But, but Paul goes on to give us an example of our weakness. And within this example, there is great joy to be found. A little weird to say it like that, but, but it's true. It's the second part of verse 26. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Paul uses prayer as an example. How many of us think that we should pray more? This is a safe place. Yep, there we go. All of us, okay? Or more earnestly, all of us, just about everyone, if we're honest. One of the most basic, and I say basic not in diminishing the importance of prayer. It's not what I mean by basic, or even at times what can be considered the difficulty of prayer right? But basic as its universal acceptance within the Christian church, that prayer is a spiritual discipline that we should all have and be doing. But when it comes to prayer, we are weak. Intellectually, we, we can't even begin to fathom what God is doing. Ultimately, I mean, ultimately, we know, we see the word, we, we see what's going to happen. But the problem is, is that we don't see how part A is going to lead to part B. We just have to trust that God is going to get us to part B, right? We wouldn't need prayer if we did know everything. Even if we knew our hearts. That's a weird saying. But we don't know our hearts to their most deepest levels. But God does. We understand that God is good. We understand that God is sovereign. Sometimes we can't even begin to see how the circumstance here leads and ends in God's glory over there. So that's intellectually. And, and on the opposite side of intellectual weakness, um, when it comes to speaking to the creator of all things, that is God, we must acknowledge an emotional and spiritual weakness as well. 
I come back to the question of how does a Christian kill sin? But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That's Romans 8.13, if you remember. That's just another example that Paul gives. Paul says here that we don't even know what to pray for as we ought. There's a list of things that we should be praying for. Jesus teaches us, thy kingdom come, Lord. Thy will be done, Lord. But I wonder how often we come back to the same list of things that we have on repeat. Now, I'm not saying that list is wrong, okay? You should earnestly, we should all earnestly pray, never ceasing, as the word tells us. But Paul is pointing to a deeper reality of prayer, a knowledge of life and circumstances that we're absolutely blind to because we're not God. We don't even know what to pray for as we ought because we don't see the full picture. But this is where the good news comes in. So that, that, that's our weakness. Here's the good news. But the Spirit intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. But the Spirit. When we are weak, God makes up for us. The Spirit is here. And when we pray, He is interceding for us on a level that we can't even begin to fathom. This is incredible news. Okay, pause. All right. This is not saying that you don't have to pray. That's not, not what I'm saying here. All right, don't, don't hear that. That's not a free pass, okay? What it is saying is the effectiveness of our prayers are not contingent upon the eloquence of our words, the length of our speeches, or our spiritual strength, our perceived spiritual strength. It is contingent upon the faithfulness of God alone. God, by the Holy Spirit, is interceding for us, our prayers to God the Father. And this gets even more wild the deeper we go and think about it. You see, the Spirit takes our prayers and, and by and through, it's like a, like a filter. Spirit comes up, taking our prayers. Through the filter of the blood of Jesus, presents them to God the Father from his children. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 through 16, and then we're going to follow it with Galatians 3.26. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Then in Galatians, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. With confidence, we pray as children of God. With confidence, we approach, not because of our strength, not because any ground of righteousness that we've built, but because what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will ultimately do for us. So we should pray. And we should trust that the Father wants to hear from us. The word is clear on that. And that even in our weakness of not knowing what to pray for, the Holy Spirit is saying it on our behalf. And this is great news. But then comes those words, with groanings too deep for words. And we pause and we wonder, um, okay, what does that mean, right? Uh, am I groaning? 
Is the spirit groaning? Is the spirit taking my groaning and then it becomes the spirit? We're not going to get into the weeds on that one, okay? First off, let me say that a very respected pastor whom uh, has been trusted within the church that has been teaching longer than I've even been alive, uh, for that matter, actually most of us, some of us might have been alive, um, he calls this text a perplexing text. Perplexing. But rather than get into the weeds, okay, I want to make a couple helpful observations that I really pray that will be beneficial to us. The word groaning in verse 22 and 23, that you remember what we said, uh, for we know that the creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait, for, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. That word there in verse 22 and 23, groaning, is the same meaning of the word that is used here in our text today. In the original language, literally it means to groan. Right? There's, no, there's no more meaning than that, to groan. And in the context of verse 22 and 23, we as Christians are, are looking to and looking forward to the time of our ultimate redemption, aren't we? And it is only logical that this groaning is expressed to our heavenly Father during prayer, isn't it? God, I, I can't wait to come home. I can't wait. That song that we sing, almost home, almost home, press on towards that blessed shore. Oh, praise the Lord, we are almost home. In our weakness and in our futility, that longing to be with Jesus is being expressed. To be rid of sin fully, holy. To be rid of death. To be rid of this broken world. To cry no more tears of sadness. My being groans for that. As should all of ours. Even more simply said by Paul in 2 Corinthians. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Number two, the second observation. Um, there are moments within this broken world that can and will lead us to the point of not even having words to say. Um, my meme, my grandma, that's what meme means. Actually, I looked it up. In French, it's like old woman or grandma. So she was my grandmother. Um, she helped raise my sister and I. My father was not there, and, and for as long as I can remember, uh, to the point of really my late teens, she lived with me every day. Cooked breakfast for me, dinner for me and my sister, uh, while my mom worked. She was an absolute wonderful cook, by the way, but to make a long story short, and I know you know where this is going, uh, I received a call. She wasn't doing well. I was stationed here at Eglin. I, I was in the military. I was a brand new Christian. But by the time that I flew home, and got to the hospital, my, my family decided uh, before I even got there that it was best to let her go and to pull the plug. I didn't get to see her. I didn't get to say goodbye. There were no words that I had in that moment. I remember just falling to my knees. And if one word was on my soul, it was God. God. My body ached and groaned. And we all have stories like that, don't we? We do. 
Those moments when every fiber of our being is crying out to God our Father with no words that can even be expressed, no words that can be uttered and formulated into any semblance of, an, of a prayer, but he hears us. He hears us when that call comes in, when that death in your family happens, when the test results come back, Christian, you can be confident that God the Father hears you and his spirit, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, is actively interceding for you. God the Father hears us through the blood of Jesus Christ that marks us as children of God by the intercession of the Holy Spirit, not because of us. Not because of us, but because of his faithfulness and his goodness and his grace. We should have confidence in our God that did not save us and say, figure it out, man. I'll see you, you know, when you die. I'll see you when I come back. He doesn't do that. He brings us lovingly into his family and he sends his Holy Spirit to indwell us, to help us. Now, all of this kind of crescendos in the next couple verses, Romans 8, 28, but I'm not allowed to preach that. I tried, okay? But Paul continues. Paul goes even deeper than this. In the following verse, verse 27, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And he who searches hearts. Notice the and there. When I really started studying this passage, I kind of missed it until the spirit like really just brought it back into place for me. The word and, that's once again connecting the thought of Paul here. This is a continuing of the same thought of the Spirit's intercession for us. So this is a further arguing or, or argument of support of the work of God in our lives and amidst our weakness, okay? Our need for the intercession of the Spirit. Now, this term, he who searches hearts, if you think about all the times that you've heard this term, if, if you've been um, engrossed in the word, you might have heard it before, Uh, This is a difficult term to wrestle with. It really is. Not by any means in understanding it. It's easy to understand. God knows the hearts of man. But it is a difficult text to wrestle with. And the reason for that is every time that our hearts are searched, especially within the Old Testament, Um, it's kind of in a negative connotation, or at least a very honest one. God is referring to himself who searches the deepest corners of our hearts. The deepest corners of our hearts. Like I said, this isn't difficult to understand. He, in this text, is, is referring to God, right? We know that. Uh, But which distinction of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, even that's debated. But that's not the point. We don't need to get into the weeds with that. 
That's not a distinction that we should be wrestling with, or at least not this morning, because regardless of, of how Paul is connecting the Trinity in this, this work in our lives, the heart of man, my heart, your heart, is wide open for God. For the redeemed sinners in this room, tell me you can't feel the weight of that. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I, I literally Googled how many times. Um, spoiler alert, I don't know the entire Bible by heart. So I Googled how many times the term, uh, he who searches hearts or searches the heart of man is used in the Bible. Um, it's a lot. It is. It's a lot. And it's all in regards to judgment. He who searches hearts is referring to the deep sin that indwells us. Because God sees that sin. And I'll go back, maybe not every time, but most times, okay? Someone's going to find that one time and be like, you're wrong, okay? Most times. In the Gospel of Matthew, we hear this, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. Christians, we know of our sin, don't we? And we know of the sinful life that we once lived in, that God saved us from. We are aware of our brokenness, not even to the degree that God is. Jeremiah 17.10, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. 1 Samuel 16, 7, 1 Chronicles 28, 9, Proverbs, the gospel of Luke, all the way back in Genesis and all the way to the book of Revelation. Scripture is chock full of the truth that God is a just judge who will judge the hearts of sinful men and women. And you, we, we can't run from it. We can't ignore it. And those who are not Christians, this is a terrifying reality because all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. But notice something here. I don't believe that Paul's words give us the same tone as Jeremiah did. Paul is not warning us to the final judgment, though I think he's recalling it, it's not a sobering gut check. It doesn't, it doesn't sound like it. Paul says that the Spirit is interceding for you and I amidst our weakness. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now remember, Paul was a Jew and he would have been very familiar with all of those texts I just mentioned, all of the Old Testament references. Paul would have known very well that God, the Lord of hosts, will judge the nations. Paul knew it. And Paul also knew that it was the heart that sin is born out of. But Paul doesn't seem to be using it in the same way. Not in a way that conveys judgment, but in a way that reminds the audience, those whom he was writing to, and us, the full circle of the story here. It's a full circle. The emphasis is not on our hearts, not in this passage, but how the Spirit intercedes 
for our hearts. He knows what is the mind of the Spirit. God the Father knows our hearts to the most intimate depths. And he also knows the intimate depths of the intercessory prayers that the Spirit is making for us in full detail and in full oneness. Every single unspoken word and every single spoken word, God knows. Essentially, there is nothing hidden here. There's nothing hidden here. There is no prayer that is being missed. There is no failure to communicate on God's part. God is searching the hearts of man and the spirit is doing the work in us. Meaning that God is seeing what the spirit is doing within us as we are the reason that the spirit was sent to help us. There is only a perfect God who is displaying his immense glory through this interaction between himself for our benefit. You see that? When that day comes, okay, when, when all things come to an end, we are confident before the throne of God as we have been justified by the blood of Jesus and we are by the Spirit being interceded for now. And the Spirit is working in us to make us more like Christ, to be conformed greater into his image. We don't know what to pray for, but the Spirit is there, and he's doing what we can't or what we don't know. So we pray, and we pray in confidence. The Spirit's intercession in prayer is a picture of God's goodness and grace to his people that should solidify our confidence regarding prayer. Spirit's intercession in prayer is a picture of God's goodness and grace to his people that should solidify our confidence regarding prayer. That's a long part. That's a long point, right? But practically... Really simple, what this means is that before you go and eat lunch today, after this service, I'm almost done, all right, or lay your head on the pillow with your family, and, or if you pray as a family before bed and you stop there, you should have no doubt in your mind whatsoever that God is there and that God hears you and that God is so good that even what we can't say, even what we don't say, he hears. But let me point something out real quick. Uh, the Spirit's intercession is different than God the Son's intercession for us. And I alluded to this just a moment ago, but in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25 through 28, um, it says this, Consequently, he, this is referring to Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he, has always, he, he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, First for his sins and then those for the people of the people, since he did this once for all 
when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. All right, let me summarize that. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God in the flesh, was crucified and resurrected three days later to intercede for us in regards to our justification. Our made being, our, our, us being made right with God. It was by Jesus' perfect sacrifice that we have a right relationship with God the Father. Now, I'm going to mention one more verse. We're going to get to it. Sorry, Ted. Uh, Romans 8, 34. I'm just going to mention it. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? What I, what I want us to see this morning is that the Son, Jesus, his interceding is for our justification. As such, the Spirit was sent and he's the Spirit now interceding for our sanctification. Are made more into the image of Christ. What is happening is this. Uh, the Spirit is, t- I kind of did this earlier, but here's this filter of the blood of Jesus. The Spirit is taking our prayers through the blood of Jesus, through the lens of children of God by the blood of Christ, to God the Father, in which the Spirit is then coming back to us making us more like Christ, sanctifying our hearts. In the book of Acts, we see that the Holy Spirit gives us power. In John chapter 14, we see the Spirit referenced as an advocate and a teacher who will remind us of all things that Jesus has said. Romans 15, by the Spirit, we can overflow in hope. In Romans 15, we can see that it is by the Spirit that we are sanctified and that we in our bodies, have become God's temple. When we are made alive in Christ, it's, it's like that what was crusty and dead. I don't like that word crusty, but it gives a good picture. It shoots alive. It comes alive in a second because the spirit indwells us. Ephesians chapter two, from death to life. You're a brand new person. You don't have the same wants. You don't have the same desires. Everything is different. Everything is changed and your desires completely changed. When you sin now as, as, a, as a Christian, it, it's like putting your hand on a hot stove, right? It hurts, it does, and you're gonna feel it immediately. Um, the spirit will remind you. But if you ignore the spirit and you keep your hand there on the hot stove, it's just gonna burn more and more, right? When we sin, we can... We can often feel what, what, what can be described as not really feeling the Spirit anymore. It's called grieving the Spirit of God. Like a lamp that was lit in us and, and is just dim to, so, so we feel it. We miss it. But for the believer in Jesus Christ, he never leaves you. He is a gracious God. He's a gracious Father, who in 1 John says that if we confess and repent of our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us because the payment had already been paid. But God allows the consequences of our sin to graciously teach us. And my point is this. I know that's a tangent, but my point is this. God the Spirit should not be undervalued in our lives. He should not be ignored by any means. 
is he is present within us and he is for us. He is working all things according to the will of God. And that's how our text ends this week. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. What is the will of God? Well, we can know by the word, can't we? I can read the word of God and, and know what the will of God is. And there's, there's always that picture of someone saying, God's not talking to me anymore. And then this guy over here is reading his Bible, you know, and you're like, yeah, that, that doesn't match up, right? But here now, day to day, minute by minute, we can often be in question what God's will is for our lives, right? We know overall but when circumstances get specific, it can be hard to, to, to picture. 1 Peter 3.12. Um, I'm just going to read off a list of this for y'all. Uh, because my goal in ending this sermon, because I am almost done, I promise. My goal for us this morning is to have a confidence in prayer. Confidence. That when we are weak, God is strong. That when we are insufficient, God is sufficient. That when we need help, God has sent the helper. 1 Peter 3.12, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Christian, the Lord is attentive to your prayers this morning. His ears is towards you. 1 Peter 5.7, Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Christian, casting your anxieties involves praying. Hebrews 4, 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And last but not least, and this really ties in the will of God in regards to prayer, uh, 1 John 5, 14 through 15. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we can have the requests that we have asked of him. If we ask anything according to the will of God, this is what 1 John just said, he will hear us. But let's go back to the weakness for just a second. We don't even know what to pray for as we ought, right? So how does that work? God hears us, but we don't even know what to pray for. Let me tell you, glad you asked. All right, the spirit is interceding for you according to the will of God. That is how Let's break this down. Here's what's happening. We pray. The Spirit comes along to intercede for us. And when we in our weakness don't know what to pray for or pray wrongly, God, help me bench press 450 pounds. Your word says that you give me strength. No, don't try that. It's not going to work. Um, at least I don't think it is. Let me know. Don't let me know. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. <laughs> okay. The Spirit takes what we are lacking in, what we are failing in, that we do not have the spiritual strength to do, and he turns it into a perfect prayer according to the will of God for our good. You see that? That should make us confident in him. And it's all according to the will of God. We have confidence that whatever we ask according to his will, he hears us. And we can be confident that the Spirit is the one who is making this known to God the Father, even when we are feeble in our prayer. 
And that's exactly where we want to be, is in the will of God. We don't boast in our weakness in a way of like, yeah, I'm weak, it's fine. We boast in our weakness because of the God who supplies the strength to us and for us. For the glorious name of Jesus Christ, we can be sure that it is always a yes when it comes to the Spirit's intercession. And even when we pray, even when we in, our, in this body prays, God's answer might be no. It might be not yet. But it's not so for the intercessory prayers of the Holy Spirit that indwells you this morning. Maybe, maybe this morning you are unsure if you're indwelled by the Spirit of God, which just means that maybe you're not sure if you're a Christian or not. That's what that means. Maybe you blatantly know that you are not. I invite you this morning, I implore you this morning, this gift, this gift of the Spirit of God, the gift of eternal life, this gift of direct access to the almighty God and creator, it's not for sale because the price has already been paid for it on the cross. You just need to confess and repent. You need to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So come talk to us, please. If that's you this morning, if you hear this and like, that sounds great. Don't leave. Don't let another day go by. Because God loves you. And he died for our sins. And brothers and sisters of the faith, we need to commit ourselves to prayer. Confidently. We need to be confident that the Father hears us. We need to be absolutely sure that God will make everything work for our good and our benefit to include using our prayers for his glory. But that's the sermon for next week. Let's pray. God, we thank you, Lord, for this day. God, I thank you for this day. God, your sustaining work by the Spirit is evident. I pray that this body of believers, Father God, I pray that this sermon did what you sought it out to do, that your word, and I need to be confident that your word does not come back empty-handed, Father. So I pray, Lord, now for this congregation, for this body of believers, my brothers and sisters in the faith, that we would be encouraged and have confidence to approach the throne of grace because of the blood of Jesus in full confidence that it is you, your spirit, that is interceding for us even now in this moment according to your will, according to your glorious grace. To those who are far off from you, Father, I God, I pray that they hear this sermon. And I pray, Father, that the call of your spirit is working in them, God, that you are knocking in their hearts, Father, that they would see you as God and King and that they would join the fold, confident in you, regardless of their weakness, and that we to ourselves would be honest about our weakness for the sake of being strong in you, Lord. We love you. We praise you. It's in Christ's precious name that we pray. Amen.